0: All right, so welcome everybody. Um, We've been discussing over the course of the day um, how meaningful today is for a lot of us. Um, When I say a lot of us, I know that there are many of us who have been tracking since day one, which is now five and a half for some almost six years depending on where we wanna create the starting point Um, But over the six-year journey, there's a lot of us that have been involved. There's a lot of us that have been journeying together in what it is that God has been doing and realizing how much has actually had to happen in us in order for us to become a people that could be trusted with a situation like what we are all a part of today. Um, The reason that I say that Um, is because I know that, as many of us understand, and we'll jump into some of these things later as well, um, church for us is not an event. The church is not an event. The church is a family. Um, The church is a people. It's not a program. Um, The church is a relational organism, if you could say it that way. Um, It's a family that's on mission. And so for us, this this is not, it's not just an event, meaning, well, I attended something because that's what church is. Um, Now, that family may host events, and we're totally okay with that, Um, but the church itself is not an event. And so we've been journeying together with the Lord, which is now almost six years, as I said, Um, and even in the beginning days, the goal was never to necessarily plant a church according to Something that our city or even our cultural idea of what church is would satisfy. Not to build something that man said they wanted, but to really have a heart to build something that God said he wanted. And that's always going to be the choice before us. Are we building something we want or are we building something he wants? And we just believe that he wants a people. That Jesus laid down his life to have a bride and he shed blood so that this people, this bride, this church, he would be able to possess. As we've said, we are his reward at the end of the age. What he gets at the end of the age is a people, and not just a people corporately, but also, yes, you individually. That we are part of this inheritance, this possession, this reward that Jesus gets at the end of the age. Um, He thinks his bride is to die for. And we are a part of that bride. And so we've been jealous to see the people that Jesus deserves rise and shine in our city. We've been jealous to see this family that would bear his image and carry the glory of God. Take their place in our hour of history. That in our generation, we would be the people that Jesus longs for. And that we would give him a family that he could possess. And our lives would be marked by his presence and his voice. And we've been journeying now for years, years trying to faithfully walk with the Lord so that he could have what it is we know that he wants. Um, And so it's really exciting to be able to be together this way. Um, This is the first time in that six-year journey that we've had something outside of a house this way. And so it's really special um, it's really special for a lot of us that have been around since the beginning. It's really special for a lot of us that have joined in along the way. Um, we, even as the leaders, so to speak, those of us who serve from the bottom, um, we've been talking over the past weeks that the Lord gave us a word back in March and April time frame, and it was this, April showers bring May flowers. And there was a, a season of divine alignment where the Lord was leading us to do specific things because he said there were certain promises that he had been speaking to us for quite some time that it was time to actually possess we had stewarded them personally privately fasting praying walking with these things held in our hearts in secret but the lord said it's now time to pass over and those of us who celebrated passover on march 28th together you realize it was a special occasion And we feel that something dynamic by the Spirit happened where God broke open new territory for us to literally pass over, as they did, coming out of Egypt in the Exodus to occupy a new land, a place of promise. And in a matter of weeks, the church doubled in size. (laughs) As God began to add to our number, it seemed like daily, those who he was rallying alongside of us in the journey that we've been on, And we just feel really trusted by the Lord in this moment. We have a a wild sense that God is with us. He is in our midst and he is moving on our behalf. And so it is a joy for us to gather today and to have been able to welcome so many families into the journey over these past weeks of what God is doing with us. Um, There is room for you in the Father's house. At least that's what Jesus said. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I will go and make a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me also. Um, Without taking too much time, I'm just going to look at two quick verses and we're just going to get into it in worship. Um, The thing that we don't want is for the feel of a different space to all of a sudden change the who it is that we know we are. The building is not to eclipse the values of what we know is our life and death gathering in and out of homes. Um, The life and death is still going to be in and out of homes. The homes are not a means to an end, the homes are the means and the end. We get to practice over and over again the outcome that we're after. Um, We want to be known as one church that meets in many houses. And so at times when we're able to, we will bring all of those houses together and we will gather this way so that um, we can be reminded um, that there is a bigger vision of a people in our city that is larger than just the scope of maybe one house that we meet in or with one particular group of people. Um, And so there is. There's going to be the element in the ongoing way of meeting people uh, that maybe you don't know because we're not gathering in the same house and trying to cultivate life and family together in a specific way. Um, That way, meaning out of the house that we're a part of or attached to. Um, And so for that, you may look across the room and not be familiar with some of the people that are here. But that's for that reason. There are many houses that gather. All right. If you have a Bible... um, You can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I was looking at the time. I figured I had about two hours. So I'm going to utilize all of that. (laughs) That is a joke. Man, it's a really rough crowd today. I mean, for real. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. um, As we're turning there, it's, it's amazing to be able to gather this way. Um, we are going to be utilizing this space on a regular basis for meetings such as this. Um, we have four more of those planned. One of the reasons was because we had to forecast the times that we would need the building and submit that to the, the leadership here. And so they approve certain dates. We will post those um, in the church Facebook page because we already have them mapped out. Um, That's going to be August 8th, September 19th, October 31st, and December 12th. Um, Now granted, I wasn't expecting anybody to write those down, so we're going to post that somewhere where you can come back to it, and then we obviously are going to communicate that um, in the houses as we are gathering on a regular basis, um, and then just in life together. Obviously, that information is going to be around. Um, But for those meetings, again, for more of those, we will be coming back into this space to be able to do that. Um, Something else that we're going to be utilizing the space for is we are going to be launching a prayer room, and we will begin that Tuesday, July 13th, so not this Tuesday, but the following Thursday, or the following Tuesday, um, originally, well, the following Tuesday, July 13th, and that's going to be every Tuesday night, Um, so that's going to be an ongoing weekly thing, And the time frame for that is we're looking to do a two-hour prayer and worship set. Um, The reason that I say a prayer room is because it's not going to be a midweek service. There's a difference. (laughs) Um, In a midweek service, you're coming to move people, possibly to uh, preach to them and things of that nature. This is not what that is going to be. Um, If you're familiar with things such as, let's say, IHOP or Upper Room or or Legacy or Gate City Church or whatever, on and on it goes, prayer rooms seem to be popping up all over, not just the country, but throughout the nations, Um, right? Many of the prophets prophesy that as we lean in closer to the end of the age, meaning the second coming of Jesus, that the nations will begin to sing his praise and his worth, And that a prayer and worship response by the Spirit is going to begin to erupt all around the world. Um, And so we are um, launching a prayer room. It's going to be every Tuesday night from 6 to 8. Again, two hour sets for worship and intercession. And that's exactly what it's going to be. We're going to meet. We're going to behold the Lord. We're going to worship him. And we're going to pray the scriptures and what we feel is on his heart for that evening. Um, That's going to be the goal. So you can come and join us, it's going to be open, uh, and we'll just be here trying to love on Jesus and pray the scriptures. Um, And that's going to be every Tuesday, and the time frame for that, again, the window that we're looking for is going to be six to eight, um, in an ongoing way. So all together meetings, prayer room, yeah, there's not going to be a a kids church element um, for those gatherings, we're all just going to be in here. Um, praying, worshiping, um, again, on and on. If you just want to come and sit in the room with your Bible open, bring a notebook, whatever. If you just want to come and just be here, just come and be here. Um, It's going to be open every Tuesday from six to eight. Um, Again, as we begin uh, a prayer room where the Levites can take their place. Um, Where the Levites can take their place. Beholding the Lord, ministering to him, blessing in his name, and then representing Him well. Um, So where the Levites can take their place. Every Tuesday night, starting July 13th. Um, Also, all of the stuff that we're using today is not stuff that we are looking to use in an ongoing way. Um, We tried to do our best with what we had available to us, um, but we are believing that in an ongoing way, we're going to be able to buy equipment And sound stuff and all of that that can belong to the church that can be ours and that we can set up. Because if we're going to look to use the building in an ongoing way, week after week, and then for corporate meetings, um, we're really believing that we're going to be able to use sound stuff that's going to be of better quality than what we have. Um, All of the stuff that's here does not belong to the church. We have bypassed their whole system, Um, it's just the relationship that we have. And so we brought in stuff. Again, that's not the churches. It's actually all burning one stuff that we use for a variety of things. Um, But moving forward, we're really believing that we're going to be able to purchase stuff. Um, Several of us have been just resourcing those things and putting together um, kind of like an overall price of what that would look like. Um, and at this point, what we are believing for in an ongoing way is going to be in the range of just to get us started, and anybody that has a history in sound, audio, AV, tech, that kind of stuff, um, then you're going to understand in the price that, that, that we've come together with that it's, that it just, it is what it is. Um, so we're believing just to get us going um, for $10,000 worth of sound equipment that we can use in an ongoing way for the purposes that we're gonna be using this space for. Obviously, we don't need that for the houses. (laughs) Um, That would be a little overwhelming uh, if we were to set that up in Frankie's living room for next Sunday, for everybody who gathers that way with them. Uh, That would be a little overwhelming, Um, but for here and for what we need, again, we have a relationship with them that we're not gonna use their stuff, uh, and that's amazing. But that's what we're believing for, moving forward, to be able to grab the stuff that we need to set it up so that we can use the space the way that we think we should be able to. Hi. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to take a couple of moments and just consider some statements that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that I pray is going to provide a a fresh sense of encouragement and a fresh confrontation. Um, Paul makes some statements in 1 Corinthians 4 that are very absurd if you were to put them in a modern day setting. But what we find in 1 Corinthians 4 is that Paul is not, he's not ashamed. He's not minimizing the statements that he's making. There seems to be, by the implications, that Paul has an understanding of a jealousy that God has for something specific. Right when I opened, I said, we've been after something specific since the very beginning. We're not confused as to what we're doing We're not doing what we're doing because we just don't know how to do anything else. But we believe that there's something that the Lord is after. That there's something that he's after and that there's something that he wants. And so we want to dream his dream. We want our hearts to be radically overtaken by what it is that God is dreaming about. Because the rest of the world provides us with an overwhelming amount of dreams and ambitions. Things that we can create as a way of pursuit to be after. But we know that there's something specific that God is dreaming of. And it's a people. That it's a people. That God is a family man. That he's a family man. And that as we, again, lean in closer towards that Revelation 19, marriage supper of the Lamb moment, that the Father will finally get to present to His Son the bride that He deserves. The bride that He deserves. The church that He gave His life for. A family that God has possessed with His own spirit. Right? We are a people that are born again. We're not just Christian by way of cultural distinction. We're not just Christian because it's the religious box that we preferred when held up against all the others. We are a people that are believers, we are Christians because we are a people that are born again. Jesus said, unless you are born again in his conversation with Nicodemus, you can't perceive the kingdom, you can't enter into the kingdom. But to those of us that have put our hope, we have put our anchor of dependency into Jesus. We have claimed him as Savior and Lord. We have proclaimed that our life is no longer our own, but for the rest of my days, I will not live for myself, but I will live for you. You are king. I will be your ambassador. I will represent you well until the day that you come again or for the rest of the days that God should give me to steward as I am alive. All of those days will belong to you. Because you are everything. And God says to those people he has given his spirit. And that there is something radical that is happening on the inside. That the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5. Paul says that because of the down deposit of the spirit in 2 Corinthians 5 that now in this earthly, fleshly tent, that we bear witness of everything that God has promised because he's given us a down payment, which is his spirit, and that now we house the Holy Spirit as a people that are born again. That this is you, this is me. If you have pledged your allegiance to Jesus, you have laid down your own life, you have not just claimed him as king, but the beauty of God's son as king has been revealed deeply in your heart by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. To these people, you are born again. And Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, right? There's actually something real that's happening on the inside that is changing you at a default level. It's changing your original hardware or programming. There is something happening on the inside that is transforming you and conforming you into the image of God's son. That by the work of the spirit, we are a people that are becoming by way of nature more like Jesus. And I say by way of nature because it's not just about a language or the adoption of certain activities, but it's at a default level Your original programming, the inherent, rebellious, sinful, wild, fleshly, satisfying nature that you used to have. God is changing that deeply on the inside and making you something that you could have never made yourself. And all of that is happening by the work of the Holy Spirit that is happening in you. He's changing us. He's changing us. And Paul echoes this. Later on in 1 Corinthians, in 15, verse 10, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Hear that. I am what I am. And what I am has only been made possible because of God's grace to me. There's no shot that my life would make any sense as to the way that I've been reconfigured. How my life is being transformed. The actual change and consistent development in my new nature is only possible because of God's grace to me. Because God has opened up his own life and given me his spirit. And it's now his spirit in me that is changing me. And that change is not just so that I can now choose what it is that I want to become because God has already sorted that out. He says, I am looking for a people that are more like my son. This is Romans 8. All of us who believe have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is God's goal, a people that would repopulate the nations that are more like his son, a people that would repopulate the nations, a family that he could spread across the nations of the earth, a family that would bear his image, a family that would carry the glory of God, That he could share through intimate fellowship his authority to advance his cause in the earth until the return of his son. God is looking for a people that look like his son. Not just by way of all the externals, the images, the filters, the facades. But a people that have actually at a default level been changed in the nature, the natural response to life and life circumstances and others. Their nature has been changed, so their response as they are engaging the life that God has given them is different than the rest of the world. But it's not just because we're trying super hard to be Christians. It's because God gave me his spirit, and it's actually changing me. Like it's actually changing me. I am something different. I'm not just trying to fake it till I make it. I'm not just trying to pretend because I know how to prop up the right image whenever everybody else is around. No, this is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I am what I am. But what I am has only been made possible because of the grace of God. We are something. Or at least we should be. If we have his spirit then our continual yielding to the work of his spirit on the inside of us should be transforming us. It should be changing us at a default level. In our nature, we should be something different than what we used to be. And this is what Paul is communicating. I am something and the something that I am is not the something that I used to be. I'm different, I'm changed and I recognize it. I know I'm different. I know that I'm not what I used to be. I get it, I used to have struggles, there used to be problems, there used to be real issues, there used to be things that I liked, that I desired, that I pursued, even things that I used to be deeply satisfied by. But those things have changed. I don't have the same appetite that I used to have. I'm different. I don't have the same appetite that I used to have. I'm different. I'm not just the same thing that I used to be, but now with a Jesus bumper sticker. I'm not dealing with the same inherent rebellion and corruption, just trying to mask it well with a Jesus t-shirt. I'm different. Something has happened to me. God's grace has overwhelmed me and overtaken me and now there is a radical internal process that is happening in my life whether it's visible at not or not whether you can see the inner working of God's dealing with me on the inside it is happening because his grace is changing me This is what Paul is saying I am what I am Like no 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 don't get it twisted I am something Like I actually am something. And the something that I am is not the something that I used to be. But it wouldn't have been possible without God's help. But God has given me all the help I need because he has shared himself with me. He's given me his spirit. And his spirit is alive on the inside. And earlier in Corinthians, in chapter 4, Paul actually says something that is completely absurd but we're gonna let it land in the midst of us and call us to a certain way of life. In 1 Corinthians four, Paul is, again, he's writing in response, right? At least that's the the idea that we get, that this church that he planted, these people that he loved, right? He fathered them in the gospel. He he makes that clear to them, even in 1 Corinthians four. He says, you have a lot of teachers, but you don't have many fathers. He says, I fathered you in the gospel. But he opens up the chapter by way of, I guess, not just suggesting, but reminding them. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he says, when men see our lives, this is the way that we should be known. We should be regarded as faithful stewards of God's mysteries. He's reminding them that there's a bunch of ways to set our life up. But when people see us, If there is a distinction, if there is something to be known by, if there is an identifying marker on our lives as we are living them faithfully before the Lord, there is something that Paul says must be a part of that description. And he says we should be known as those that are faithful stewards of God's mysteries. He's saying our lives should have been overtaken by God's presence and voice, so much so. That when people see us, it should be easy to recognize that presence and voice are a part of the way that we are not only made up, but it is a part of the way that our lives are governed. Our lives have now become governed by presence and voice and God has shared himself with me and in him sharing himself with me, I now know his desires and my life is set up in order to bear witness that what I care most about is what God cares most about. This is how my life is now set up because as an ambassador, I'm not living it for me. As a representative, I'm not living it for me. Right? This is what he says. We are ambassadors. And we understand that there's a moment where that is going to be more real than we ever knew it was. And possibly more real than we ever wanted it to be all along. Because there is a moment coming when Jesus will come again. And when all of us that have our lives set up saying that they're set up in love with him that all of that, he will be the one that evaluates it. And he will determine for himself how much of that was as authentic as we said it was. (laughs) But Paul is saying it should be no secret. Anybody that interacts with us should be able to tell that my life is now governed by God's presence and his voice. I am totally sold out. And then he goes through as he's continuing on a list of, I guess you could say, back and forth with them and how he's not really, he's not sorry for the life that he lives. He says, I'm actually conscious of nothing against myself. Yet, even though I'm not conscious of it, this doesn't acquit me. He said, because the one who examines me is the Lord. And then he gets down into this back and forth, starting with, let's say, Verse seven, he says, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if God isn't the one that gave it to you? He said, you're already filled. You've already become rich. You've become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign alongside of you. He said, for I think God has exhibited us apostles Last of all, as men to be condemned to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're somehow prudent in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're the ones that seem to be without honor. He said to this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless, and we toil, working with our hands. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're prosecuted, or when we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we try to conciliate. We've become as the scum of the earth, the dregs of all things, even until now. And he said, but I'm not writing you to shame you in these things, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you wouldn't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. And even now some have become arrogant as though I weren't actually coming to you, but I will come soon and if the Lord wills and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. The kingdom doesn't consist in words, but it consists in power. The Corinthians had gotten infatuated with all of the rock stars of their day, and even their own perceived maturity based out of things that Paul would have referenced are not coming from actual substance. They had an image of maturity by wowing one another, by being impressive to one another, but they had created their own definition of what maturity actually meant. And Paul is reminding them through a lengthy discourse here, we read all of these verses, that there is an actual way of life that unless you have real substance from God, you are never going to be able to be faithful in. A specific way of life is going to call you to the carpet and expose anything in you that God has not actually really done on the inside of you. Paul is referencing all of their supposed superstars that they had been infatuated with and fallen in love with. And his hashtag at the end, the kingdom is not a matter of only talk, but it's found in a demonstration of power. Paul is reminding them that anybody can talk the talk. Be very aware of those who you rally around that have just adopted some sort of sexy language just sort of some kind of relevant speech. They know how to move you by the things they communicate to you. He's reminding them that articulation alone is not the only thing that God is interested in. That you can actually communicate something that you don't actually know how to live. (laughs) That it's very easy to say something without having the way to actually do something that you can talk the life, but not actually live the life. And to this, Paul is creating a contrast. The kingdom is not a matter of only talk, but it's power. And it's real power to actually change us. And Paul had become so convinced in the way that he had been changed, that his suggestion as to the way to succeed in a life in God is to become an imitator of him. He says, therefore, I remind you and I exhort you, be an imitator of me. You wanna know how to live a successful life in God? Follow me around and do everything that I do. You wanna know how to actually live your life right? Spend time with me. I know what I'm doing. Right? This is, this is wildly absurd considering modern day situations. But Paul is not arrogant. Paul is not boastful. Paul doesn't have some sort of self, deeply conceited uh, way about him where he always has to push himself up and boast in his own doings. No, he says later on, let any man who boasts, boast." boast in the Lord, But to actually recognize that Paul had become something and the something that he had become, he actually believed in it enough that his suggestion to others as to how to succeed as a way of life was to mirror or imitate him. How many of you actually have the confidence to tell people, you want to know how to live a successful life in God? Follow me around every day. Do everything that I do. Say everything that I say. Set your thoughts. Follow me around. Corinthians is not the only example where Paul is communicating an idea like this. He tells the Philippians in Philippians 4.9, he says, everything, hear that, everything that you have heard or learned, seen or received in me, do these things And the God of all peace will be with you. Everything that you have heard me say and seen me do, everything about my life, set your life up to mirror mine as best as possible and everything that God wants, he's going to be able to get for you. (laughs) Who says such a thing? Well, Jesus does. Right in Matthew 11, Jesus says, all of you that are overburdened, you're weary, you're tired. All of you that are still trying to do it your own way, all of you that are still trying to force the issue and jump through all your little religious exteriors and all of you that just have all the right forms and you, just, you're just, you know how to do all of that types of stuff, all of you that are tired of just simply trying to uphold the image, come to me. He says, I'll give you rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest for your weary souls. But then he says, then learn from me. Why? Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I'm humble, and I'm meek, I'm lowly, I'm tender at heart. Come to me and learn from me, because I'm humble. Right? Who says something like that? Right, we all know the guy that says he's humble is the last person in the room that's actually humble. Right, like well, I'm, I'm, I am, I'm super humble. Right? Like, I've, I've got more humility than most people I know. Right, we, we understand. But Jesus, when he says it, it's right. Because he actually is. He is humble. And so when he says, learn from me because I'm humble, he understands that the best thing that could possibly happen to us is that we would see him and in seeing him begin to learn his ways of life. And in learning his ways of life, we become more like him. Paul's arrogance, so to speak, is not from a self-inflated opinion of himself, but it's an understanding that the I is no longer what is driving this thing, like he says in Galatians. It is no longer I that live, but now it is Christ because the world has been crucified to me and I to it, and even now this life that I live is being lived in faith for the son of God and now he's the one that is in me being himself and living this life and driving the thing through me. So he's not inflated or conceited but he says, I exhort you, become an imitator of me. Become an imitator of me. It's time to begin to model your life after what God has done in me. He says, and so much so I've sent you, Timothy, to remind you of my way of life. You see, Paul is not simply just trying to flaunt gifting, right? Again, the Corinthians had become infatuated with those who had a certain way to articulate and then others who had a certain way to flow in gifts. And I just don't know what it is about Christians, that just gets so hyped up on proving to each other how gifted we are. <laughs> right? It's an infatuation to want to become so impressive by look at how gifted I am. Paul is saying you've fallen in love with these guys. You're in love with the way they talk. You're in love with how they flow in gifts. But let me tell you, they may have a flow, but do they have a life that is worthy to be followed? This is Paul's contrast You're enamored with all of the superstars of your day. You've fallen in love with those who just know how to talk well and demonstrate or flow in gifts well. He's like, but remember my way of life. Remember that I actually fathered you. I didn't do it for a show, this wasn't some performance based setup. I wasn't trying to generate followers, but I am a father to you in the gospel. Paul is contrasting a way of life where he now considers his life to be a pattern and a pattern that has been laid down in the midst of a people or a family. And he is calling them by way of reminder to mirror everything they had learned out of the way that he lived. He says, I actually came and lived among you. Right? This was his encouragement to the leaders of Ephesus on the beach of Troas in Acts 20. He says, remember the way that I lived among you. He says, with humility and many tears. He says, I preached to you publicly and taught house to house. He says, remember how I actually lived among you, Acts 20:20. He says, I opened up my life and I let you see what was going on. I didn't only pop out like a jack-in-the-box every once in a while to impress you with how gifted I was. I didn't only pop up on special occasions to wow you with my articulation or my newest revelation. He's like, but the revelation was that God had actually made me something, and I laid it down in the midst of you, and I did life with you. Day by day, we walked together. Day by day, I opened up everything about who I am. Day by day, I was on full display as a man that had become radically changed because of the power of the gospel. I showed you as a real demonstration in real time, in real life, what a life that has been transformed actually looks like as it is interacting with people and circumstances. I showed you that. But have these other superstars He says, I just don't know how to flow. God has determined I have a life that's worthy to be followed. He's like, it wasn't just about being impressive. Let me tell you what's really impressive. A life that's actually been changed. (laughs) That's really impressive. That should get a whole bunch of likes. That should get a bunch of subscribers. A life that's actually been transformed. Somebody who doesn't just have a fancy articulation and then hides out because we understand that if my life was opened up, people might see something that's not in alignment with the something that I know how to say. Paul's saying that's not the way that I lived. He's saying, yes, I know how to say it, but I actually knew how to live it too. And it's not because I was boastful, but it's because God had actually transformed my life. I am what I am and it's by the grace of God. And he's not using it as a way to create some little exclusive group where, well, it's only Paul and his buddies that have been changed and now they've got this thing going on. But Paul says to anybody that's willing, I exhort you. Again, he's talking to a community. Anybody that's willing, I exhort you. Mirror my way of life. Be an imitator of me. Right, later on in Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, he actually says it again. He says, follow me, as I follow Christ. God's goal is to so radically transform our lives that he can begin to pattern other people's lives after our way of life as we have lived it in him. That as we have been faithful to yield to him, as he has changed us over time, as God's grace, as he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, do not partner with the grace of God in vain, but as God's grace has actually been lavishly poured out on us unto real transformation. Again, not just so that we know how to massage or manipulate or leverage the grace of God towards our own desired outcomes, but that God actually has a desired outcome for the grace that he has poured out on us. And his desired outcome is a people that are transformed. It is a people that look like his son. It is a people that are radically different than the rest of the world. It is a people that at a default level in your nature, your response to people and life is different because you have actually become different. That God's desired goal by the work of the Spirit on the inside of us is that we would represent him well because what he is doing on the inside of us is real and it's changing everything about us. Oh, well, bro, you don't understand, man. Like, I'm changed enough. Like, I'm good, man. Like, I found a way to do me. Like, still have all the Jesus that I need. You know, I found a way to kind of like massage a little bit of Jesus into all of the things that I want. Again, we're not just a worldly people that are religious. And our discipleship efforts are not unto just becoming something that the world would say is more of a better Christian. The world applauding our lives is not the goal. It is not the goal. But the goal is that the life that we live would bear witness with the things that we say we believe. And that in full measure, what we say we believe would be on display to where heaven would amen the life that we live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yep, that makes a whole lot of sense. You understand what it is and you understand what's coming. Yep, when I watch you live, yep, amen. All of that is amazing because you're living like you actually believe this thing. This is the life for those of us that are born again. And this is the process of discipleship and development that we are involved in so that our lives are being radically changed over time to where we are not what we used to be. It is not okay to simply forfeit transformation and come into agreement with limitations. To say, well, I'm always gonna be this way. That's because you want to be. <laughs> because you have agreed more with the lie than you have with the truth. <laughs> and it will be incredibly difficult to reap the harvest of the truth when you keep sowing into the lie in a greater way. And part of this is Paul understands that he is very influential in what God is doing among them. Right? This is is silly in some cases because he doesn't say, hey, listen, find Jimmy and follow Jimmy around. Like Jimmy's an amazing man of God. He says, no, no, no. Follow me. Follow me. Watch me live. Model your life after mine. I have a way of life that God agrees with. (laughs) I have a way of life that God actually deeply believes in the way that I live my life day by day? No, 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 you don't have to look around, follow me. Paul recognizes that he is influential in what God is doing in the midst of them. But so are you. Paul was not just communicating something that he wasn't actually willing to deliver on. Paul opened up his own life. And we are at a point where we must also We must open up our lives and let others in. We must open up our lives and reveal the pattern of what God has actually built and developed in us over time so that others that are desperate, that are longing, that are looking, that are confused, that don't really understand, others that are trying to find the way but just haven't yet been able to synchronize in the greatest way possible with what it is that God desires, we need to be the ones like Paul that actually open our life up. But I understand at times it's a little difficult to do that because we understand that if we open it up, we don't necessarily just get to control what it is that people see. Well, I'm gonna open my life up, but I only want you to look at one and seven. (laughs) Like two, three, four, and five, we're still working on that. Like, Like don't open that closet, don't go in that room. Like I'm gonna open my life up, but I'm going to selectively choose. Paul didn't say that. He said everything that you've seen. And this actually takes real humility on one side and confidence on the other. Because Paul has both. Paul has humility to to observe that God has done something in him. But he has confidence that what has happened in him is not only for him, but that it's possible for everyone. If they would choose to give their yes to the Lord the same way that he has. Right, And this is where the rubber hits the road and the difference comes. There are certain ones who have paid a price in God to become something over time. This is what Paul recognizes. I have given my yes to the Lord. And in the time that I have done that, God has developed me and actually made me something. And the something that he has made me is not exclusive to me. It's actually possible for everybody, but you have to give your yes to him the same way that I did. And if you give your yes to him, I can show you the way. So it takes confidence and humility, but for them, the statement is very confrontational because he says, follow me, I know what I'm doing, which would almost imply you don't know what you're doing and that's why you need to follow me. (laughs) You, You don't really know what you're doing the way that you say you do and that's why you need to follow me, which is why he reminds them the kingdom is not only a matter of talk, But it's power. And that's not power for conversation, it's power for transformation. That's where the power is actually on display. Because again, his contrast is those who are powerful in speech, but not really powerful in real life. And he reminds them, I am powerful in life, even if you don't think so. (laughs) He says, Follow me. This is the, he's implying. I know what I'm doing. What area of your life do you have confidence that you know what you're doing, so much so that you could open it up and invite others to model their life after you in certain areas, right? This is where it's very confrontational because Paul is saying, I know what I'm doing, follow me. But it also takes the humility of the Corinthians to recognize, well, wait, wait, wait. If, If that's what he's suggesting, then maybe, maybe we don't know what we're doing the way we think we do. Because if he's saying, it's not, it's not just the adoption of a certain language. It's not just that I have to learn how to say the right things. It's not just that I have to acquire the certain knowledge Right Where because I have the head knowledge and I know how to communicate it, then that must also mean that it's woven itself into the practical way I live my life and the way that what I say I know gets demonstrated in real time. If I know it or if I can say it, then that must be the same thing as living it. Paul is saying, no, it's not. Because there are things you say you know and there are things that you know how to communicate that as I watch your life, they're not on display Follow me. <laughs> this is very confrontational. But it requires humility on the other side to acknowledge maybe there are certain places in my own walk where I don't necessarily know what I'm doing the way that I think I do. Maybe I, maybe I need somebody. Right? Paul understood God's prescription sometimes as a person. <laughs> Right? We, we can hide away in the secret place. We can tuck away. All of that is amazing. But there are going to be times where God doesn't answer your prayer that way. Because his prescription is going to be a person. So that in his family, we become interdependent. So that we have to rely on one another for a way of life. This is discipleship discipleship is the disciplining of our lives as we are living them in love with Jesus unto a specific way of doing life. And in the effort to bring discipleship to our lives, Paul recognizes sometimes God's prescription is a person. Sometimes the way that he answers your prayer is by bringing a person into your life that knows what they're doing. But you don't understand, I, I, I don't like that. <laughs> because then I might have to admit that I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> Paul understood that God's prescription sometimes was a person. Man, what area of life have we been longing to come up higher in? What area of life have we recognized that there are things about this that I know I am not living in the fullest potential of what God says is possible. Paul says everything about my life is worthy to be followed, but that's not necessarily where it is that we are living at all times. But there has to come a point where we recognize that either I can continue living in a self-perceived false humility which is, well, I know what I'm doing even when I don't really know, and I'm just gonna continue dealing with the consequences of not knowing what I'm doing because I'm way too prideful to admit that I don't really know what I'm doing so that I can get help from a person that God has made to be the prescription to remedy all of the woes that I'm going through, right? So I can have this false humility or in actual humility, I can say, Lord, I need help. And if you'll bring somebody into my life that knows what they're doing, I'll learn. I'll watch, I'll pay attention, right? This is what Paul says. He says, look at my life and pay attention. Watch me live and pay attention. There's something about the way that I live that God wants you to catch. There's something about my way of life that God wants you to learn. This is what Paul is saying, right? We need real humility, through an acknowledgement that there at times are things that are not being lived in the fullest measure of what God says is possible. Right, we see this all the way in the beginning between Cain and Abel. And then we'll take a, a moment and pray. Abel brings an offering to God that is perfect. He is known as the righteous shepherd who brings an unblemished offering to the Lord. And his brother, in an effort to bring God what he wanted to, gets corrected. But in the correction, he suggests to him, this is Genesis 4, if you would learn from your brother, who is already living in a way and bringing me the offering that I desire and that I have said is pleasing. If you would learn from your brother, then you would be able to know what you could bring me to because he already knows. He's learned that. He's developed there. He has this area under control. But it says Cain gets really hostile and he's offended at the idea that God would put someone in his life. As a matter of fact, his brother, someone who was already in close proximity, he's offended at the idea that God would look to further develop him through someone that was already living in close proximity to him, right? Sometimes in our familiarity with one another, we choose to no longer be influenced by or receive from one another. And Cain gets hostile, and he decides that he would rather kill his brother than be convicted by him and changed by him. I would rather kill him than continue to be convicted by him. I would rather turn into an assassin rather than in humility receive his way of life that is already pleasing to the Lord. Rather than learning from him, I would rather get rid of him because his way of life is exposing something in me and the confrontation has hit me so hard and so deep that I would rather kill him than be moved by the thought of God using him to actually change what it is that I am and how I'm living my life. Um, But let's not just pretend like this is Cain alone. (laughs) Right. Cain says, I would rather create distance between me and him than continue to live close to him and be convicted by him. Right. There just has to be moments in life where we recognize God's grace to us in the people that he has surrounded us with and that God's prescription sometimes is a person or a people. Where through the intentional attention that we are giving to others that are living around us, there are things that God desires for us to catch from one another and learn from one another because there are areas in all of our lives or at least there should be where with Paul's same confidence we can say too, I am what I am and what I am has been made possible by the grace of God. Man, if we need help in parenting look around, stop trying to pretend like you've got it under control, right, where, like, it's probably obvious to a whole bunch of others that you don't have it all under control the way you think you do, right, like, if we need help in the area of marriage and relationship, look around, I'm just using these as areas. Man, if we need help in any area of life, man, I don't really know how to fast and pray. Man, I don't really know how to lead my business in a way that's gonna honor the Lord. Man, I don't really know how to set my life up. I don't really know how to manage my time well. How do you do that? I don't really know, man, my kids and ah, da, da. Like, look around is what Paul is saying. There should be. Those in our midst that have been changed by the grace of God. And God's remedy, his prescription to a lot of the woes that we deal with is an interdependent relational connection where we actually have to see him in others and then depend upon the grace that they have received in saying yes to come upon my own life as I submit in humility. Or we can just keep all our own issues and stay busted and just be too proud. But this is what Paul is saying. Talk alone is not going to get it done. Yeah. Amen. This is what he's exhorting them. There has to come a time where you look at all the talk and see if all that talk is actually woven into the way that you walk. And if not, look around. If not, follow me. If not, become an imitator. Mirror everything about my life. But the goal is not to become simply infatuated and to idolize people. Right? This is what he says. You've fallen in love with the superstars. He's not just trying to create a new category of superstar where they would become infatuated with him. Because the idea is imitation should always lead to initiation. Imitate me until you know how to initiate on your own. Where is the God of Elisha? Right, that's what Elisha says whenever Elijah is taken from him. He doesn't stand at the the waters and say, man, my whole life is gonna be busted moving forward because Elijah's gone. What am I gonna do now? The one that I've depended on, who I've walked with? No, 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 Elisha understood. I watched the way that God was willing to give himself to that man. And I walked with him, and I saw how he lived, and I learned a certain way of life while I was with him. And there was a season when I was alongside of him because I was supposed to imitate him. But now he's gone, so I can no longer imitate. So in a moment where I have to walk it out on my own, I'm not longing for imitation anymore. I understand that now imitation should always lead to initiation. Where now what I've learned in seasons of modeling... In seasons of mirroring, in seasons of actually following after others and being humble enough to follow others, I've actually learned what it is that I'm doing now in certain areas. And now what I learned, I'm willing to open up my own life and allow others in so that they can learn. Where is the God of Elijah? And we all know the story, instead of receiving correction from Abel, Cain decides to kill Abel, right? Can we see the Lord, the righteous shepherd, who because of his perfect offering and pleasing way of life, ends up being murdered. (laughs) But Cain, rather than receiving God's mercy, God's mercy to Cain was the brother that he already had planted in his life. <laughs> his mercy to Cain was the brother that was already in his life. Cain didn't have to jump on YouTube to try to catch a word. Right? Like, Cain didn't have a podcast, Pastor. His mercy to Cain was a brother that was already living next to him. It was a relational interdependence where he had the opportunity to learn from someone that had already become developed in a certain area of life that Cain was desiring. Cain was desiring to come up higher and God had already put a man in his life that was living in a way that was higher, but Cain was unwilling to receive correction and then in humility learn from his brother. So rather than going that way, he chose to murder him. Um, Because sometimes it's just easier to do what I wanna do and not be challenged by the way that others are doing what they do. Because there is no way to open up our lives and then to not be challenged or confronted by one another. But it is the way that God has set it up. And I want to encourage on both sides. There are those of us sitting in the room that it's time to open your life up. Because it's both sides. Right? And this is how we're going to close and we're going to pray. It's time to open your life up. Because it's one thing to know that we've been changed. It's one thing to know that God has really done something in us. That we're transformed, like I'm different. That's one thing, but it's a whole other thing to open our life up and to let others in and to give others an intimate proximity. To not just showcase again by way of conversations, right? Discipleship is not a one-hour phone call once a month, right? Paul said, watch me live, like watch me live, and it's hard sometimes to open our life up, especially when we've been hurt by those that we've opened our life to, but we cannot simply call it wisdom to avoid Judas for the rest of our life, meaning it's not always going to go the way that we want it to go, And if it was God's wisdom to put a Judas in the life of his son, then Judas serves a purpose that God desires that maybe others don't. And so you can't just eliminate everybody that you don't think is going to go where you want them to go. You can't simply be selective or apply this preferential thing with like, oh, well, um, I think that spending time with you is gonna go somewhere that I want it to go. And so I'm gonna choose to spend time with you because really I've determined that it's worth it because it's going where I want it to go. But where we actually begin to open our lives up, where we open our lives up and we let others in, and we let others in in a way that's real and deep, And we give them exposure and we put our lives on display. And we model something in real life. Not that we're trying to fake, but out of an understanding of what God has done in me. And what you see is what you get. Where we open up and let others in. And it's time for some of us in the room. It's time to open up. Because God has done something in you. He's done something in you and you need to share it. He's done something in you, and there are others that are rallied around that are longing to be changed in the same way. And being accountable to what has happened to us and in us. Being accountable through opening up our life and letting others in. Well, I'm not really a people person. (laughs) I'm more of an introvert. Right, I, I don't really like making room for others and spending time with people. I'm glad that Jesus is not the same way you are. (laughs) I'm glad that he wasn't introverted and was just like, well, I don't need anybody else and I'm not gonna open my life up. But it's time for us to open our lives up, right? Because again, this is a way of life. And this is where the encouragement is, this is a way of life. But in that way of life, there are others that are hungry, There are others with a longing that God has put on the inside of them. And one of the ways that he is answering that longing is by the way that we are willing to open up and allow others in to be a part of our life in an intimate way. But then it's the flip side too. Because we have to be willing to recognize certain places and spaces in our own life where the way that God is answering that prayer is to bring a person into our life, where we can model and follow and learn and receive, where we can see and hear, where we can consider our yes to the Lord and the way he answers that yes by having someone in close proximity whose life is actually set up in a certain way that is worthy to be followed. Um, Again, there may be certain things about us that we realize are worthy to be followed, right? This is where we we honor what's honorable and we have humility to recognize what still needs help. (laughs) Right, we honor what's honorable and we have grace and humility to recognize what still needs help. And so it's not that anyone is going to be exempt from both sides of the equation. Right? But at all times, we need both. We need to be opening up and we need to, in humility, be learning and following. Jesus said, come and learn from me. Paul said, come and learn from me. And we're, we're at a place in the life and the journey where, where this is God's invitation. It's time to come up higher. It's time to come up higher. Right? It's time to come up higher in certain ways and places in life where maybe we've just been okay with the way that they've been. Or maybe there's been a tug on our hearts for quite some time now that God has been dealing in certain areas. Right? But, but it's, the invitation is the same. It's time to come up. It's time to come up. It's time to come up.